How does the study of inequality shape the field of communication and media studies? About this and many other important topics is this conversation with Isabella Watt in this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcicki. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al-Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. It is a great privilege to have with us today Isabella Watt. Isabel is Associate Professor in the Department of Media and Communication at the Erasmus School of History, Culture and Communication at Erasmus University in Rotterdam, where she has been since 2009. Before then, she was a lecturer and International Academy Coordinator in the Department of Communication and the University of Amsterdam, also in the Netherlands. Before that, she got her PhD at Stanford University um, in finishing in 2007, uh, supervised by the incomparable Ted Blasser. And uh, previous to her arrival at Stanford, she had obtained undergraduate and graduate degrees at Universidad Católica in Santiago de Chile. Isabel has obtained many prestigious fellowships and has had a number of very distinguished publications in the top venues in the field, including in journal communication, not once, but multiple times. Isabel, welcome to El Café Latinx. Thank you, Pablo. Thanks for inviting me. It is our pleasure. So, Isabel, tell us, how did it all begin for you? That is, how was the start of the journey that led you to become an academic? Uh, it's well, um, I was I was a student assistant at the university, not knowing that 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 would sort of have anything to do with what I would do afterwards. What I wanted to do was to uh, work as a journalist, but that already sort of acquainted me with with um, with work in the university. And um, and it was sort of in my script for my life that I would study abroad, um, and um, and I would do a master's maybe. I I don't think I really thought about a PhD. Um, and and I had an opportunity to spend a few months in the U.S. in a in a small exchange program, going to a U.S. university, and I liked it. Um, and then I decided that I wanted more of that. Um, and and I, I actually, I first applied for linguistic programs, partly because in my first trip to the US, I read, I read a book. I read a book which I would probably read very differently now, but I read uh, Steven Pinker's um, Language Instinct at the time, 
and I was really fascinated, captivated. Um, it's interesting to to also reflect on that. I yeah, my reading of that work and that kind of research is very different now. But at the time, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, linguistic programs did not accept me, and the year after, um, communication programs or at least Stanford accepted me. Uh, and but I still arrived there wanting to do some kind of linguistics in journalism work. I did not necessarily see myself as an academic. I wanted to study abroad. I wanted to continue studying to have an, um, uh, a graduate degree. It was sort of almost an inherited dream in my family. Um, and I should add that personal relations at the time also played a key role. I mean, when I went for a short period to the US is because I thought I did not want to leave the country for very long. And when I finally left the country for a long period, it's because I thought I don't want to stay or I don't have uh, the good reason I had to stay in Chile. Um, so those factors were also very important. Interesting. Did you consider other alternatives in the States in addition to Stanford or Stanford was it for you? Well, so I love to tell my students, they can't believe it, that I had to go to the US Institute, the Instituto Latinoamericano or the, yeah, in Santiago to read these, to look at these encyclopedia books, right? <laughs> you may recall, but people don't know what it is, right? Where you would see the different programs in the different US universities. The internet was, was starting to appear, but there was nothing like a proper, a website where you would be able to check this, the page. Stanford, I think, had a page, but really very basic. Um, so I went there and I started looking. <laughs> I started looking at um, who had a communications department, which university had a communications department. And I jumped from Ivy League to Ivy League because those were the only universities I knew, right? Um, because those were famous, not because I knew that much or because I, right? Um, and so, so they did not have communication programs, right? Very few of the Ivy Leagues or any or whatever. Um, and I did a little bit more research and I ended up applying to Stanford. I remember to Santa Barbara, um, uh, I think to U, uh, University of California in LA, I think, the UCLA. Um, and I don't remember more because I applied through the Fulbright um, and the Fulbright at some point told me, hey, Stanford wants you. Would you like that? I said, yes. And I never heard about the other applications. I don't know. Um, I don't know if they were considered or what. That's very interesting. And so how was your experience at Stanford? Amazing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and again, I think I would experience Stanford differently probably now. I have become more critical of it. Uh, of the larger institution, at least. Um, but I was, yeah, it's 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 fantasy world, right? I don't know anyone who has been on that campus in that, and and with the means to afford being in that campus, right? Because the 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 um, uh, the program, the PhD program, comes with a stipend that is big enough, or it was at the time, uh, to pay for an amazing studio on campus the first time after my short stay in the US where I lived on my own. Um, and I, yeah, 
yeah it's it's really fantasy world and the kind of people and the kind of friends i made and the kind of courses and lectures i uh, i had and um and just being on campus entering the green library and walking through the piles of books it was really yeah an amazing experience when i when i when I look back, I mean, the nostalgia for those days, well, it's also a, um, such a time on one's life, right? I was in my um, late 20s. Um, yeah, so old or adult enough to be fully independent, but young enough to yeah enjoy the best of youth, I would say. Um, yeah. And and at turning, I mean, I, I I may have continued changing, but it was really a um, a world, an intellectual world, and a critical world open uh, for me in my mind. Yeah. And how about the Latin American part of your experience? How did you feel as a person from Chile uh, living in a place like Palo Alto slash Bay Area? Um, yeah, I, 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 I. I couldn't fully identify with the Latino community in the, in um, in the area. They were um, yeah. I I I realized at the point how how um, how privileged I am. I have been an I'm an immigrant, but I've always been some kind of expat as opposed to a properly uh, proper migrant. It's not a term I like, right? But I think every now and then it's good to use it to realize that. I cannot claim the kind of position of of those who are forced to migrate and who uh, don't fall into the kind of support network in which I have been as a graduate student at, in Stanford um, and and later um, working in universities in the Netherlands. But of course, it made it fascinating, right, to to move around and and meet um, uh, people from my area of the world and also because my area of the world includes well <laughs> it's our area of the world but i uh, as a as a child i lived many years in mexico and i visited mexico a lot and i have some kinds of different family and friend connections in mexico so for me also it was it was so close to mexico not just because we were literally much closer than in chile but also because there are so many of the people there so many of the restaurants so many of the local traditions and and visuals were were uh, Mexican, right? Um, so yeah, it added to the to my fascination with California for sure, and um, and I could more easily, while distant, connect with uh, yeah with the the uh, farmers movement and politics and some kind of yeah it was a nice uh, or a useful entry point into some of the most um, yeah the ugly sides also the most problematic sides of of california and uh, yeah and that specific area and you ended up writing a dissertation focused on latino uh, communities and uh, in particular in the world of journalism as a person coming from chile and as a person you know um studying at one of the best universities in the world that has in that in the Bay Area particularly strong image. Um, how was 
for you the experience of doing research on the Latino community, given you know your positionality and your institutional location? Well, I um, I have mentioned also in in, in the the talk I just gave here um, how uh, how I was placed in my position at some point. I was put in my place by certain members of the community and specifically by the publisher of one of the Latina uh, local uh, publications, right? Who, um, who saw in me a possible spy from this very privileged institution, but also from the mainstream uh, newspaper. Uh, in a way I represented sort of the threats. Uh, he ended up attending my dissertation defense and and I, I admire and, I, and I'm very grateful with what he did. And for the most part, that did not happen. In general, I was this young woman who could speak Spanish most of the time better than, um, than many, or, right? Because they, they use better or more, yeah, more uh, um, closer to, to the Spanish of Mexico or Chile, whatever. Um, uh, and I was very welcome. Uh, I want to think that, of course, the Latino community is a very warm, welcoming community, and I'm convinced about that. Um, but yeah, but it's also that, yeah, I was young and interested and uh, and willing to talk with people and to learn from them. Um, so in general, so my crying with Mr. Morales was not the standard, but it was a, a, a constant reminder. I've never, I've never uh, forgotten that. Um, and and I, I became in love with the topic, but originally or at the beginning, it was partly uh, an issue of accessibility and feasibility of um, um, I soon realized that going back to Chile to conduct research um, may not have been the best option. I had seen too many people at the university where I studied and work um, going back arguably to finish their dissertation, but being stuck in all kinds of obligations. So I, I thought it's better if I, I do a project right here, close to the university, close to my supervisor and far away from other kinds of professional, maybe mainly distractions that I could have in Chile. And um, did you think um, that then I mean, you're a professor, but did you consider other career options as you were working at dissertation or did you always think that you wanted to become an academic? Now, once I was doing a PhD, um, I, I, I didn't consider other options, but it was only when I, when I started doing the PhD that I realized what this meant, what academic life was. It's not that I had dreamed uh, with being an academic. I, I came also from a very different uh, university tradition. It has changed a lot in Chile, but at the time, research was something very different and publications. Very, so um, yeah, I, I had to learn a different model of academia, which is closer to what I do now and what at least my home institution in Chile is doing as well. Um, so academia for me at the time when I was still in Chile was mostly teaching and yeah, mostly teaching. And how was the academic job market as you were graduating from the PhD? Yeah. Um, I don't know, because since I had the Fulbright, um, I had an, a, 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 
an obstacle in my career, which was also an advantage. And that was that I could not stay in the US. So um, I had several limitations in my choices after graduating. One was that I could not stay in the US. And I went to several of these meetings. I think probably that still happens in the International Student Center that at least once a month, there is a meeting for Fulbright as students to know how can they bypass the rule of having to leave the country. I went to several of those and it was too complicated. Um, and I was actually, and I think I was already thankful that 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 was not an option, which means that many options were closed, right? So there was some limitation in, in the menu afterwards. Um, but, but another limitation or structural limitation, which allows, enables, right? This how structure works, enables a different set of possibilities, was that I had met a German who lived in the Netherlands. And I would not bring the German, also an academic, to Chile. That, that really would have blocked his career, I thought, and probably had not made him very happy. Um, so the options were, yeah, limited in a way. And there was an opportunity to get started at the University of Amsterdam with a short-term um, yeah, visiting lectureship or something like that. And then, yeah, so I haven't really, I, uh, in the list of privileges I have that I've never been really sort of uh, sending CVs and I've been rejected several times, but, um, but not really being in the hunt for a job and um, yeah, opportunities have come and some of those have worked and yeah, I've been lucky. How would you characterize then the sort of scholarly life in the Netherlands versus the scholarly life in the US? You already contrasted Chile with the US, right? So if you Chile were at the time, right? Chile in Chile the, the 90s. Time. Very good, very good clarification. <laughs> yeah. So so the Netherlands and the US, um one could say the Netherlands is a proxy for Europe, although that might be problematic. So the Netherlands. Uh, work culture in the academy versus the U.S. work culture. Points of similarities and differences? Yeah, well, initially it seemed very different. In the Netherlands at five, the university starts to close, people leave their offices, um, and uh, they have to go to the supermarket <laughs> and pick up their children if they have some children and be having dinner at it may be seven if they really don't have children, but it could be six if they have small children. And then and then it's not that there was necessarily much work after that. I've seen now that that work afterwards and in the weekends has become more visible to me afterwards, but not that much. It's not I remember in the US, I would um, also graduate students. We would spend much of the weekend um, in the in the offices or in the library. Um, I don't see that happening like that, and I'm very grateful about that. I, I, by now, I don't feel that we work less, but but um, work academic work for many people in the Netherlands, despite the precarity and the stress on many of our jobs, is still part of life, and I think it really sort of drove the life of many academics I saw in the U.S. Also, people who moved from one side of the country to the other, sometimes with family or without family, because that's where the job was, for example. 
Um, here, I've it's not uncommon to hear people saying, "No, I'm not. I'm not moving beyond I don't know, um, 100 kilometers around." Um, and I think that yeah, I think that that's healthy. I'm not. I'm not talking about uh, laziness. I think. And yeah, it may also have to do with the, my limited vision of certain spaces of academia in the US, right? And certain spaces here. Um, so yeah, I could talk for hours about the amazing libraries of US universities, but as my husband usually <laughs> reminds me, I was at Stanford, I mean, <laughs> right? So yeah, I cannot expect the Green Library to be reproduced in um, any university around the world. Very interesting. In addition to sort of productivity expectations and, and, and productivity practices, other points of comparison that you think are worth discussing? I, I actually think the, the productivity expectations are not different. It's just, yeah. So so it my my view has become, I think, more nuanced. But it's true that people live at five the office. Um, um yeah, my position is so different, right? I, I, I have an impression that university politics works differently uh, here than there, but I never had, yeah, as a graduate student, you only see that much, right? So this is a view that keeps changing as we um, get to see more and want to see less probably of, of how universities um, work. Yeah, I'm not sure. The Dutch university, so you said whether, I think you mentioned at some point whether the Dutch could stand as Europe. It definitely cannot. I mean, not, well, there, of course, because there's such a variety of um, academic traditions within Europe, but also because, and that made my migration much easier, the, the Netherlands is very oriented towards US. Uh, academia. So much of our work here is in English, for example. I've never taught in Dutch. I've been here for many years. I will not teach in Dutch. I think my employers know that very well. Um, uh, and I can at least work-wise in terms of teaching and research um, operate in, in English, but also because the, the literature, the scholarship we engage in is yeah, most of the world engages with with English speaking literature, but the Germans also have their own right uh, literature, traditional scholarship. Um, and in the Netherlands, that is much more reduced. Uh, yeah, so I, I, as far as I know, right, um, uh, there, there are these very different traditions and the Netherlands is really, yeah, uh, very close to 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 US, the US in that sense. Unlike the US, however, and in particular, you know, the Bay Area, uh, the Netherlands is not very close to Mexico, geographically speaking. Um, and you had mentioned that as uh, both a sort of a part of reality and also a metaphor for you in terms of what migration meant to you at that time. Yeah. How does the Latin American part of your identity how has that factored into your academic career in the Netherlands? Because you keep writing about Chile and you also write about migration, you know, from other parts of the world. Um, so could you elaborate or reflect for us on that? Yeah, it's very difficult 
for me to um, to figure out what my Latin American identity is. Um, you have made me, you, your series have made me think about this. Um, and I, um, yeah, it's not that I don't feel it, especially now I'm, I'm, I'm in the, especially in the last years, I'm, I'm really passionate about, for example, Chilean politics and I'm, I can't stop, <laughs> I can't stop, um, following what is happening with the constitutional assembly now and the new president. And so I'm, I'm, it's, if I have one sort of obsession or thing I cannot disconnect from, it's, it's that, um, and yet, um, yeah, so my identity is like everyone's identity, much more complex. But in my case, I grew up in a family where we would talk about Chileans, or at least the elderly people, would talk about Chileans as other people, not as us. We were Arabs, they were Chileans. Um, and we lived in Mexico for a while, and um, for six years after actually the the Pinochet's coup d'etat. And uh, so there is a very ambivalent relation with with the country and a very um, that I understand and I accept what I what I regret, but I feel, yeah, it's, it's part of growing is, um, yeah, somehow of a lack of awareness of the politics and the realities of of Latin America as a yeah, sort of a, a local grounding, not not necessarily in Chile, but in 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 the yeah, in this post-colonial reality that we that we share. So that that factors in. Um, but yeah. In any case, migration then it's not just um, it's not it's not just the connection with Latinos in, in the US. Actually, many of them never migrated. We know, right, that the border crossed them, right, and not them the border. Um, but it's also own sort of um, experiences, very different family experiences with migration uh, and then being a migrant here, but again, rather an expat than a migrant in terms of privileges. Um, yeah, so when I arrived to the Netherlands, I, I, I tried to figure out how would I sort of refocus my research and I realized that, yeah, there was lots of do, to do here in terms of um, uh, migra migration and media, and these were different groups, but, but I could easily transfer sort of my skills and critical reading of the situation to um, uh, of course, what I could not so easily translate was my access to actors, right? Because of the language, but um, but but um, to to focus on the relations between uh, the media and migrants here, mostly yeah, the biggest uh, migrant communities here, or the problem migrants here are, um, or the classic ones are uh, people um, with uh, with uh, Moroccan. Turkish, Suriname, Antillean background. So a very different group of people. You mentioned, you know, uh, influences on your research a couple of times. How do you choose your research projects? The topics? Yeah, I think it's different all the time. Some of them have, um, have emerged from 
the work of students. So students who have introduced me to, I don't know, I have yeah, a, a, a Finnish radio program um, from, uh, yeah, from a, um, a migrant, uh, two people with a migrant background talking about issues of migration. I don't know. Thank you, uh, Miko, for, <laughs> for teaching me about that and letting me work with you on that. Um, then with, with another student, I'm still working on, on, on issues of language change or inclusive language in, in Argentinian journalism, and she's from Argentina. Um, uh, yeah, and there, there, are, there are several examples like that. Um, yeah, it depends. So it depends on collaboration sometimes, and 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 it's very eclectic in principle. I mean, it was um, talking with you and talking to your audience today enabled me to sort of uh, uh, try to trace some logic between projects. But it's very eclectic, and I sometimes I struggle sometimes thinking I should really focus on one body of literature, right? Productivity, sort of efficiency sort of um should right and and being tempted again and again to jump into something new so i'm working on on issues of smart uh smartness smart cities and inclusion and i love it and it's a whole new body of literature um and yeah that's the opportunity also of collaborating with with um with another colleague so i don't have a formula i think that uh, that, that there are more than topics entry points into topics or ways of approaching topics uh, that one feels passionate about and um, and they tend to of course yeah some some things keep repeating themselves and um, and if there's journalism in there I'm, I'm always sort of there's an additional fascination and yeah other issues do you have nostalgia for your years as a reporter Nostalgia for the kind of reporting I did uh, or I do when I have the opportunity to conduct field work. Uh, that's like the best of the. <laughs> it's like when you have the time and you you yeah you you can fully open and talk with people and yeah engage and learn and uh, much more than as a, as a journalist I think. Um, but I also don't have that much experience as a journalist. I. Um, I feel I was so naive in my, I think I learned a lot, but I was, um, I was very young. Uh, there was still a lot to learn, of course, there is always. So I don't, um, but I love here. So if you, a treat is to be able to talk with one of my journalist friends and to, yeah, to talk about their work and what they do and what has happened. And, and I can spend hours and hours and, um, they are usually very busy, so that makes it a real treat, right? To have one of these um, uh, prominent journalists telling you about the, uh, yeah, the backstage of the profession. Okay, so and you know, taking a more abstract uh, and general view, where do you see the place of Latin American communication studies or Latino? Latina, Latinx media studies in the overall sort of constellation of communication and media studies? Where, what place does it occupy? What place might it occupy in the future? 
don't know. And I, I, again, it may be because I haven't thought of myself as sort of necessarily part of um, this group. Um, it may be also because it's really a group under construction. And I think that you're doing an amazing work in making sense, in, in, in giving a body, in, in yeah, um, bringing that together. Um, but also because I, yeah, I, I, I've studied elsewhere, I have worked elsewhere, I keep some contacts and it's great to be able to do some research, but I'm not as well um, connected with the field. So I've learned about it. So I return the question back because I, I've learned about it um, a lot, or there has been a jump in my learning by looking at previous uh, podcasts or by listening to previous pod podcasts like this and uh, well and in the last years right with the meso conferences I think they have also been very valuable in this respect um, yeah but I don't yeah I, and again it's it's difficult for me to uh, to figure what's my role in there until I yeah I read more or I listen to more of these um, presentations and I realize that there are, there are these common themes there are these 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 things putting pressure on us and and um, yeah issues of inequality commonly right so so could you elaborate a little bit on that I mean from the vantage point of a listener and a viewer and a reader feeling addition to a practitioner what would you say are the, the themes that cut across yeah, well, I, really again this is what um reflecting on 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 this to prepare the talk but also listening to others um i realized that there are there are spheres where i need to introduce the importance of certain issues um uh, of yeah, related to social inequality to uh, that that don't need such an introduction when we are talking among Latin American scholars. Uh, of course, yeah, not not everyone starts from the same point, but 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 we we live in societies that suffer from from comparable problems and where these problems, I think, and and I'm sure in the case of Chile, have become much more visible much more confronting in in the last uh, years um so yeah so when when you do the meta-analysis of the, all the talks and podcasts and i i bet but i didn't do it systematically that that's one of the things you will find inequality yeah, commitment with social justice, uh, concern with, uh, and that may be very, it's such a general topic, who doesn't care about this, right? And yet, I've been in many conferences where these may be one of the sessions, I mean, if, right? Um, I think in part, um, not only Latin American research, but uh, research from the so-called Global South, uh, tends to have, in proportion maybe, um there tends to be more critical qualitative um research than in mainstream u.s uh communication research i think 
but I'm just guessing here from personal experiences. So then, Isabel, if you have magical powers and could be granted one wish about how you would like the field of communication and media studies to change, what would you wish for? I, I knew you would ask me this and I've been thinking about it and I don't have a clear answer. And part of the lack of clarity of my answer is that it's also difficult for me to conceive the field as a as a unity, right? Media studies. So how do you choose your topics? You asked me earlier. And some of the most productive ways to find topics is to make connections between what we know in our fields and what other fields have to offer, right? That dialogue um, is, uh, is, is so productive and therefore it's difficult or maybe sometimes uh, use or, or not the best thing to do to, to think of the field as independent from, I don't know, anthropology, political science, political theory. Um, uh, yeah, well, and for some, right, psychology, well, we know, right? So many branches. So, so maybe one thing, I don't know if how magic those, those powers need to be. Um, and I, I think in our lived experience, we are always, always traveling outside whatever it's called media studies, right? So I would rather you should save my my um, my magic powers for something else. Um, you asked me to compete compare sort of um, uh, academic traditions, um, and I've seen I think pretty different academic traditions. But I think the difference has been with the the years largely, and sometimes more than with with the with the locations, right? Have to do with with changes in time more than in, in, in geography. And I think that more and more we are all falling into these sort of increasingly competitive and not just competition among, yeah, for there has always been competition, but competition for funding to secure research time uh, and, and uh, um, less and less research time just because we need it. We need it, we all need it in order to, um, to contribute to knowledge, to teach in the ways and the kind of things we would like to teach, right? So if I could undo this logic of, of centralizing and redistributing the money according to competitions where we are on top of everything, waste so much time, and, and the application is sometimes productive, working on an application, right? But uh, being in all these committees where we, at the end of the day, we choose between very, very, very good and very, 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 very good, right? I mean, uh, so yeah, there's these resources, if we could put them into distributing research time more evenly um, and also generating different incentives than than the ones of competition, right? The, this, this has all the buzzwords that we'll get, right? Having the freedom to come up with projects that don't have those buzzwords or are not as safe uh, for a grant proposal committee. Um, I, think, I think that would be a nice use of my, uh, of my magic powers. And, and maybe in line with that, um, what I've also seen in these sort of I think what is like a more or less converging trend is um, um, 
very important developments in research and, and professionalization of research, but many times at the cost of teaching. And that's where I would also like to put my magic powers in, 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 in that we remind ourselves of how important teaching, and I think we all know, right, but the incentives are sometimes really pointing in a different direction. And sometimes we feel, I feel, but I at least in relation to my friend, colleagues, I'm not alone, that um, investing in teaching is at the cost of what really will count for the next grant proposal, for example, right? And if we don't build this community mentoring teaching, then yeah, we may get lots of grants, but we are not contributing to yeah the growth and the flourishing of of the field and i don't care about the field but of the of the the job that needs to be done right in terms of of understanding and uh and contributing to a better relation between media and society all right and on that note thank you very much isabel for sharing your wisdom and your journey with us Thank you to our listeners for staying with us uh, through the end. And I invite everybody to join us for the next episode of El Café de Phoenix. Thank you again, Isabel. Thank you. Listeners for their patience as well. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcicki, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mona Matassi. <laughs>